Parth. Hello. Nice to see you, Trentster. Long time you, no see. You're looking well. What have you been eating? Uh, thank you. I had a little... Do you know the Friendly's ice cream cones that you can get at, like, ShopRite? Sure. I, I can't say I know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm uh, aware of ShopRite and Friendly's. Is Friendly's no more? I guess not if they're still doing store-bought stuff like that, but I, I feel like all the Friendly's in my life have disappeared. Yes. All of the friendlies I know, which are two, closed down. Remember going to friendlies as a kid? Remember, like, the I ice did. cream? And it had, like, the Reese's cups as the ears? And it had, like, M&M eyes? Like, it was a simple, simpler time. My mom would always get the strawberry fribble shake. That's that's just a fun little fact to know about Serbi Marate, you know? I can't imagine, like, getting a meal from there, though. My parents must have really been, like, taking one for the team. Did they sell food? Yeah, of course, like grilled cheese and chicken strips wow. and all that jazz. That was um, not a part of my childhood. But there was also just like an ice cream counter at the front. You could just go for ice cream. That's that's where I went. I don't think I've ever been in... Can you go inside of a Friendly's? Of course. I feel, I feel like um, whenever we would like... It would be like the last baseball game of the season or something. And then everywhere, every time that's when you like go out for pizza or something. But when you're really young, I feel like they would take us to Friendly's. But anyways, do you know the drumsticks, at least, like, the the, the ice cream drumsticks you can Ooh. get at Costco? Sure, for the sake of conversation, sure. Anyways, for the listeners at home, if you know what I'm talking about, Friendly's makes smaller versions of that, and you can buy them at ShopRite. And after dinner, I had one of those, and it was a delicious little dessert treat. What about you, Trent? What have you had? I haven't thought about Friendly's in a while. Um... Me and friend of the show, Jackson Clark, uh, drove a little bit to Jamesburg to play disc golf. And uh, before we played, we realized we wanted tacos. And really the only interesting thing I can say is that when ordering the tacos, um, the two well, major- from where? Just from, uh, it was called Maria's Taqueria. It was it was the nearest eatery. We were just desperate and in an unknown territory. And so it had 4.5 stars. Um, and like those, like, those are pretty high marks. When ordering the tacos, the two options with like the toppings besides your meat selection, you could get it with like onions and cilantro, which was called like the authentic way. Or you could get it the other way which had lettuce and tomato and cream or whatever. And Jackson got the authentic way, which sounded interesting. But I was like, I kind of want all of that stuff. And so I said, can I have it with like everything on it? And I think he just interpreted it as I want everything as in just like this, the lettuce and, and the tomato and blah, blah, the second option. And on the little screen comes up, Gringo taco, $3. And then, like, do you know what a gringo is? Yes. Yes. And so I think, like, they're like, oh, here's the authentic, and this is the white guy taco. And I ordered three white guy tacos, and they were really uh, just, like, rubbing it in my face. And so I, I the last Did thing I had was... to be discriminated against? It was a nice change of pace. I guess I know what it's like for the re- the the rest of the world now, who isn't like white and middle class and straight. Where is there any other way I'm privileged? Or uh, I feel like male, I'm, male. There you go. But yes, 
I had three gringo tacos in conclusion. They were um, a CSC. Well, uh, with that being said, should we cue the intro? Because we got something awesome to cut to, don't we? Yeah, it's the, our second half of a conversation with someone. Should we play some Top Gun music? Yeah, we did Danger Zone last time. Take my breath away. You said it last week, but I didn't play it. But this week, I'll play it. Just for you, Trent. I appreciate that. Watching every breath <laughs> The problem is that that's not going to be what's playing underneath us right now. Anyway. I can I can only sing the Take my breath away. That's the only part of the song that I'm aware They play that song four times in 20 minutes. Is that so? Yes, it's true. And it's, it's awesome every time. And it's the same, and they're like, yes, but also it's just literally the same part of the song. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week is actually the second week of the same interview from last week. Who did we talk with, Trent? We talked with Eddie Hamilton, the editor of the film. And he also edited such films as Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, Mission Impossible Fallout, um, and of course our film for today, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, no, like it was just like kind of awesome and epic and he gives a lot of cool stories and information, but like, if you don't want to listen to it, guys, you can just stop here. You can be honest. Do you prefer the first half from last week or this, or this half? Maybe you're biased because anyone, you don't want to say the other one because now the listeners of this one would just skip to that unless they've heard it already. And they're just hankering for the second for to complete their completionist, Eddie Hamilton completionist. Honestly, having edited both parts already, I would say that both are kind of different beasts. But I would say that of the two, uh, like maybe this one has more information that you'd want, but that they're both like interesting. I lived and also re-listened to the first one because it's one of our, um, you know, bit bigger catches interview-wise. And um, the first half was pretty was pretty light and airy, and I remember the second half being like some hard facts, a lot of Top Gun back and forth. Yeah, like I don't know, maybe he talks about some some suggestions that Tom Cruise gave that made it into the film. You know, maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe he talks about some scenes that were there. Maybe, yeah, maybe. he talks about maybe I don't how know. how COVID affected the editing of the film. Eh, who knows? Maybe we get into a little mission talk towards the end. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, like, like I guess we are the only ones that would know. As and, of Eddie right now. And, and Eddie Hamilton. And Eddie Hamilton. He lived it. Yeah. No, he's he's done his best to forget it. We, it was it, it went pretty horribly for him. Yeah. But, no, we we had to. He thought that he that like his kid was like in detention and that it, he had to like Facetime the principal or something. And so really he was shocked when he was getting interviewed about the film, but he was really nice enough to continue. And talk for like an hour, which is pretty interesting. But 
Anyways, uh, I'm gonna just let this speak for itself, I guess. Uh, we'll see you on the other side, guys. Yeah, if you want to hear Parth and I more, listen to the entirety of the interview and then just catch up with us at the end. Alright, um, so what are we playing as our uh, music? We've done Take My Breath Away. Do we do it again? Do we do... Wait, Wait yes. We yes, should I... do... Yeah. I mean, in in the light of them playing it so redundantly four times over the course of 20 minutes, I say let's needle drop what we just did five minutes ago. Take my breath away. planes um the first like montage of tom cruise just like obliterating all the new recruits um is really cool um and like one of my favorite sequences in the movie and if you yeah. could just talk about assembling that together because it's so tight. oh my god yeah it would it, uh... okay so that sequence is uh about so the sequence where we use ain't uh, won't get fooled again by the who is the bit that you're talking about with the push-ups and stuff so ne- at the moment in the movie it's about four minutes ten seconds okay and then this, there's a sequence with maverick and rooster directly after that right but let's let's discount that because that's its own thing okay so let's talk about the the sequence where we use the who now that probably started off about so it's four minutes ten it probably started off about i'm going to you know, the long version was 15 minutes. All right. So just 15 minutes is very long and very boring, but that was when I first put it together, that's probably how long it was. And then we got it down to 12 and then we got it down to eight and then we got it down to six. So I managed to, to get it to less than half. Um, And we, we couldn't, we tried all kinds of different pieces of music, but it took a very long time. And when you're compressing a sequence like that, you're, you're literally you're looking through every shot and you're going, is this the best shot? And and because you're trying to get it really tight and exciting. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen Days of Thunder, the Top Gun, yeah. movie, the, the Tom Cruise movie about race cars. But there's a sequence in that which is a montage set to Gimme Summer Lovin'. And it's a similar kind of montage where he's trying, he's racing around all different tracks uh, and he's, you know, talking to, to um, Richard Duval. What's his name? Richard Duval? No. Robert um, Duval. Robert Duval. Sorry. Yeah. So he's racing around all these tracks. He's talking to Robert Duval. And I, I remember watching that scene a couple of times and thinking, I want it to be as tight and as fun as this. And it was so, it, it just, there's so much little pieces of story and character and, you know, getting the push-ups and then Rooster and then these other guys doing the selfie and all this. It, it just, it really was a challenge to get it down. But what happens is you compress and you compress. And then the shots that aren't as good kind of pop out because there's not room for them. So you just keep squeezing the sequence down. And what's interesting is we got to the last week of our final mix. We had a seven-week sound mix on this movie, which is very very long the sound mixer that we used mark taylor had before the lockdown the last film he did was no time to die which is you know nearly a three-hour movie and our film is two hours ten and they they only took three weeks to mix no time to die and we took seven weeks 
which kind of shows you how complex and how detailed our sound work was. And Tom Cruise does not compromise on the quality of his movies. He wanted Top Gun Maverick to be sonically and visually, obviously, but when we were sound mixing, sonically perfect from the beginning to the end. So that the moment you hear the very first notes of Harold Faltermeyer's Top Gun theme to the very end of the end credits, it is a uh, an exquisite work of art sonically that has not been compromised at all. You are literally watching something which is the state of the art with no compromise, with the very best people and the very best technology that exists today, which is part of the reason why when you go and the sound kind of knocks you knocks your socks off but it doesn't tie your ears out there's enough variety in it and that is so difficult to get right i promise you to find the balance between dialogue sound effects and music so that you feel there's a lot of texture through the movie and variation anyway we got to the final week of the sound mix and we were watching that sequence and we had not we didn't use the who at that point and the, the film that sequence was about six minutes long and we all looked at each other and we were like, it's still not tight enough and still not exciting enough and fun enough, is it? And and we were all hoping we were going to get away with it, but we didn't. And so Tom said, I think we need to take another swing at this, guys. So on the last week of the mix, literally two days before we were due to finish, we took that reel off, carried on working on the rest of the movie. And then I went and I cut out another you know, minute and a half out of the scene. And then we tried Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who, which we had done months earlier but because the sequence was so much longer it didn't work anyway we got it to work and it's got a great intro and it's got roger daltrey screaming when maverick splits the two jets and you just go this is awesome and even yeah. if you are not familiar with the track uh you go this is awesome <laughs> you know um and even if you think it's dad rock there's a point in the sequence where you're like, no, this is awesome. I don't, I'm, I'm going with this. And, um, and so I remember spending another four or five hours just compressing the sequence even more and taking shots out and making it even snappier than it was, even faster, even faster. Because, you know, like when Maverick shoots down the push, the guys who are, you know, take the selfie, we used to have two exterior shots of a jet before each kill. And we were like, no, it's got to be one. So I would like pop out one and it would just be one shot, kill, then the next guy, one shot, kill, dead, push-ups. And then then the gag is funnier, you know, because it's just snappier. So that that literally happened in like the last day. Of, of, just before we finished the movie, we got that working. So it's a very good question to ask, Pa. But we got there and it went from a scene where we knew it wasn't great to a scene where we were like, now this is working. Now this is awesome. But it took, you know, took a year to get it there. I'm not exaggerating. A year every day till we got it that good. With that conversation about music, um, I know on the Mission movies, you don't score with, you don't edit with temp music. And I was wondering on this movie, did you? And also when you actually were getting the real music that was going to be in the movie, I mean, what was that like? Because you've got Harold Faltermeyer, Lorne Balfe, Lady Gaga yeah. and Hans Zimmer all working yeah. on the score. Yeah, it, it, obviously this is a dream come true for me. I've never worked with Hans Zimmer before or Harold Faltermeyer, obviously. And so to to meet them and to collaborate with them was a dream come true. And I'm not exaggerating. It was, I, I would pinch myself going into the studio to listen to what they'd done. Now, it took 
a very long time to get the score working on this movie. Um, we tried, well, we tried hundreds of needle drops, right, source tracks, but we also tried many, many, many variations of score. It's very difficult to get music to work alongside the sound of jets, okay? Quite a lot of the time what we ended up doing is using quite long chords. So when Maverick does the canyon run, for example, the beginning, no, actually we have we have music kind of all the way through. It's kind of going and then there are these long chords that play and long chords can play over kind of percussive jet sounds without fighting the frequencies. They have a kind of intense emotionality to them, which sits alongside the visuals and the sounds of the jets. Uh, so that you you are you are almost in awe, like the way the pilots are in the tack room. You know the music is kind of selling that sense of of awe of what Maverick is achieving. Um, but it it was it you know it it was again like everything. It, it the bar was set so high. Tom did, Tom wanted everything to just be amazing, and if something didn't work, we would try something else and. It took a very, very long time to find the emotional, the tone of the movie that worked. The Lady Gaga track, the the chord progressions from her song, Hold My Hand, we used very effectively, I think, for the love theme and for the transition from Maverick and Penny on the beach to the carrier deck, all that stuff. And then you'll notice that when the pilots are being briefed about the mission, you hear bum 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 which is highway to the danger zone. So we're playing that very slowly. And then when they're stealing when Maverick and Rooster steal a plane in the third act, you you hear the same kind of so it's playing highway to the danger zone in a slightly different rhythm, which I love. I love that cue so much. Um and then we found this kind of quite dangerous sounding alarm sound for the enemy fifth gen fighters, you know, which is like a siren. It's like a kind of sound that we use whenever they appear. Yeah, but it was it, it was very it took ages. All the tracks in the bar, you know, we used David Bowie and then we used um, Bang A Gong by T-Rex. And then uh, later on, we used. Uh, slow ride by fog hat and then it's great balls of fire all that stuff took you know the, to find the right combination of tracks that had the right emotion and playfulness and fun and it kind of sounds like a bar where you want to hang out you know it just took it it took forever but we got there you know that was the main thing we just we just tried lots of stuff out and didn't compromise so one of my favorite things about the structure is that you sort of expect it to be a three acts with the end being like the conclusion of the mission uh, and yeah. like the, the success of the mission. And then I love that essentially the last, I don't know, 20 minutes or so is like an addendum and like yes. how conscious of you were you to like deceiving the expectation of it ending or of like a, a traditional three act structure. Well, listen, I love movies that do that. I, it's, well, especially if you're loving the movie and, and then you, you get this extra more. thing, you just want more. And I remember very clearly when I saw Aliens and the dropship lifts off from the planet. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. 
when the drop ship, when Bishop rescues Newt and Ripley and they nuke, they nuke the planet from orbit and you think it's all fine and it's all over. And then Bishop gets ripped in half by the alien queen. And there's that extra fight sequence with the, with the power loader at the end. It is monstrously satisfying. It is so entertaining. You just love the movie for it. And I remember when I read that, that, idea was always in the script and i remember thinking wow if we can make this work if we can pull this off it is going to be so entertaining because it's what one this is a spoiler massive huge spoiler one it's a tomcat it's an f-14 tomcat which for every fan of the first movie trent when you see the first movie you'll see what i mean but that plane just looks cool it just looks so cool. We have the aerial shot of the Tomcat turning out the hangar and you're just going, oh, this is so good. It's a Tomcat. It's Maverick. And it's kind of Goose in the back and they're having this banter. So you're getting a taste of what it was like in the first movie with all the emotional stakes of the fact that it's Goose's son and Maverick feels responsible, you know, and, and doesn't want to take risks. And then it's Rooster who has to say it's not the plane, it's the pilot, you know. And Rooster's the one saying, come on, let's do this. And and then you get this incredibly exciting dogfight at the end of the movie. And then there's another guy who turns up and you think, oh, they're toast. Anyway, I won't spoil the end, but it's, it's you know, we, I, 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 if you're loving the movie and you're with the characters, getting that little extra bonus at the end is just so satisfying. And I love it when movies do that. And I'm thrilled that you liked it, Trent. I really am. I love it. Uh, so you, you've spoken a lot about Tom Cruise's influence on the movie. And, you know, he's the biggest movie star in the world. And I was wondering what he's like to work with in the edit room. And if there's any specific notes you remember him giving you that ended up having an effect in the movie as we see it. He gives emotional notes. He doesn't give specific notes. Okay, very occasionally he'll say, we should cut this shot a bit earlier or whatever. But generally speaking, his notes are, I'm not feeling this in the film. You know, like, I don't feel connected to Maverick. I don't feel his relationship with Penny. I don't feel the weight of the pressure on Maverick at this moment. Um, those are usually the notes we get. And, and he... You know, these movies, they're subjective movies and, and a lot of the film is told from Maverick's point of view. Um, and most Tom Cruise movies are subjective movies in that you, you are following a central protagonist and you're in his point of view almost all the way through the film, you know. And so most of his notes are, you know, keep an eye on the on, on your connect, your emotional attachment to the character. So in the bar scene where we meet all the characters in the bar, a lot of the time we're hinging around Maverick in the foreground and we're making sure that things are being played from his point of view. So he's observing all the other pilots and he is, you know, when Hangman comes up and says, I'll have uh, four more on the old timer and, you know, things like that, you're getting these, um, these, everything is kind of bouncing off Maverick and, and you're seeing him watch Rooster come in and, so most of the notes are are about about focusing the movie. Sometimes it's about comedy. Sometimes it can be about um, 
you know, different ways to introduce a character, whatever. One of the one of the really great notes he gave in the sound mix was the scene with Maverick and Penny in bed when they're talking about Rooster, which is a critical scene for the audience to understand the choices that Mav has made and why Rooster doesn't like him and how his relationship with Rooster's mother ended and all that. You, Tom watched this, Tom watched the mix of that reel. And he said, you know what we should do is we should, we sh that dialogue's too loud in there. We should actually turn the dialogue down um, so that it's more intimate and the audience is leaning forward and having to really engage and listen to the dialogue in this scene. And so you feel like it's an intimate conversation that, that Mav is having with Penny and with the audience, you know? A lot of the time when you're sound mixing on movies, the note is that can't hear the dialogue, can't hear the dialogue, turn the dialogue up, you know, which is obviously crucially important that you understand every line of dialogue. It seems very basic, but when, when you've seen the film 300 times, uh, it's sometimes easy to think people can understand a line when actually they can't. So it's very important to get fresh ears on it. And Tom would come in once or twice a week and listen to the movie. But he was absolutely right. So we, we did another pass on the scene. We turned down the dialogue and we, the music's very gentle in there. It's it's just very soft and emotional and intimate. And we, we got it working. It's just another great note from Tom, you know, about how to get the audience invested further in the scene that's that's happening. I'm sure it's especially hard to, like, mix the levels of dialogue and determine what's loud enough when like you're listening with headphones or in a controlled environment and then you essentially need to do it for like what is going to be uh, the lowest common denominator of the theater audio system throughout the world and, and America, you know? Yeah, it is difficult. I'm quite, I've got a lot of experience of mixing on headphones and mixing at home and then putting it up in a theater. So I, I feel like I've got that down over the last, like, especially over the last like seven or eight years, I feel very confident, you know, mixing sound theatrically out of the avid media composer timeline. And then, but you're right. The, the, the lowest common denominator, the lowest common denominator of the theaters around the world. Now there's a, most theaters are not optimal. They don't play the sound loud enough. It's supposed the the Dolby fader is supposed to be at seven. And most of the time, most theaters play it at 5.5 or even four. And it can be very disappointing when you go to a real world theater and it's it's just not how you mix the film because it's got to have real punch, which is one of the reasons why if you go to a Dolby cinema or, or an IMAX cinema, you get that incredible sound intensity, which, you know, we all work so hard to create so that it's at the right level and doesn't tie your eardrums out. It's a very good question, Trent, and something which we're all mindful of and really investment in the quality of uh projectors and sound systems is what's going to get audiences to buy movie tickets so it's something which people who own cinemas should really take great care in the presentation of the movies and i know that you know there are very few projectionists left in a lot of these multiplexes they kind of run on autopilot so people don't even check that the pictures in focus sometimes um or that there's even sound on the film. I remember when I went to see Pacific Rim, there was just no dialogue channel. So 
for 20 minutes, I was like, there's no dialogue in this film. And they said, oh, no, 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 it's fine. It's supposed to just come out of the left and right. I said, guys, I, I'm a, I know, <laughs> I work in the industry and I promise you there is supposed to be dialogue in the centre channel. And the centre speaker had just totally blown in the theatre and no one had said anything for a week. So everyone watching that film was just, it was a disaster. Anyway, I'm, you know, there's nothing you can do apart from whenever I meet people who own cinemas, I try and remind them of the importance of of high quality presentation because it's, you know, somebody should be checking every single screening of every film that happens in a cinema to make sure it's up to standard because people have traveled all that way and they bought a ticket and they've got a babysitter and they're spending money on their snacks and they deserve the movie to be shown brilliantly, you know? I once saw a screening of The Shining and there was no dialogue track, but there was a booming score. It's very peculiar. Very peculiar. It's heartbreaking when that happens. The, the Pacific Rim screening was the worst, though. The <laughs> fact that the staff, the cinema staff, were like, no, 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 it's fine. This is how it's supposed to sound. And all the di- all you could hear was like bits of reverb coming out of the left and right in the surrounds. It was a disaster. I was heartbroken for everyone who made that movie you know it was in toronto sorry to throw toronto under the bus <laughs> um so we just have a few more questions left um you mentioned the bar scene and towards the end of the bar scene you actually put in footage from the first movie um to sort of explain uh the goose died in the last movie and i was wondering was that always the intention or wh- when that decision was made it was not always the intention. I think the the original intention was that you just see Maverick thinking about Rooster and hearing that music, but it wasn't enough. And, you know, we needed to connect the dots very clearly for the audience. And uh, so that exact combination of using shots of the little boy on the piano from the first movie and seeing Maverick and Goose singing Great Balls of Fire and then seeing the the images from Top Gun 86, those iconic images, which are incredibly powerful for anyone who's seen that original movie, Trent, one day. Um, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's almost, you get, you get taken straight back to that shock of Goose dying, because it happens very fast in the original movie, and almost so fast, you don't want to believe it. And the fact that he's lying there in the sea and Maverick goes over to him and there he's holding him. You're like, what, what it's, it's, you can't, it's so sad in the first movie. You are, you, you've come to love that character so much. It's so powerful. And, um, we, we tried that out. We tried it with, we tried it without, we tried all different combinations of it. And then we, we got it to work and we used the music. which is a theme that Harold wrote for the first movie. So we use that and, um, you know, it's very powerful. Um, Yeah. And so that wasn't in there and we got it to work. So, but it was the right thing to do because it has the right, you feel Mav's emotions intensely at that point. You sort of pointed out like an interesting uh, 
problem in like sequel exposition where you don't want to disrespect anyone who's like a long time fan and who obviously knows this is happening. But then there's me who's seeing Top Gun Maverick yeah. and I'm like, yeah. oh, I appreciate them cutting in the shot of of uh, Goose playing Great Balls of Fire because now I am connecting these dots. And yeah. so it's uh, it's I would imagine that's a hard balance that you have to be conscious. Yeah. Of. It, well, to be honest, we want everyone to be able to watch this movie regardless of if they've seen the first one or not. You cannot ever, if you're making a movie which is mass entertainment, you can never rely on anyone ever seeing the first movie, right? Ever. And it's, it, it's you want people to come in cold and be able to watch it. Like people who see Mission Impossible Fallout do not need to know that Ethan married Julia in Mission 3. They see the dream at the beginning of Ethan marrying Julia. And, and if you have seen mission three and mission four ghost protocol then you have all that stuff but for the rest of the audience everything they need is in there you know and chris mccrory uh is very conscious of that and he wants to make sure that the maximum number of people can come and enjoy the movie so um for mission as well for even the upcoming missions if there's anything we need the audience to know we'll make sure that it's in there we're not going to rely on anyone to remember anything because everyone's lived through a pandemic and no one, you know, it's like you can't expect anyone to remember stuff. I, I want the film has to be easy to watch and you want people to just get lost in the emotion immediately. You want us to hold your hand and guide you through the movie and it should just be it should just be a purely emotional experience. And and remember, most people watching the film in the world don't even speak English. So you have to make sure that the, the movie kind of works almost without dialogue, which is another thing that Tom Cruise and Chris McCrory are very conscious of. If, if you watch any of those scenes with no dialogue, you'll still understand 99% of the story, I think, because listen to the sound effects and the music and you'll understand what's going on. And even just the intensity of their voices, you know, um, but we use, you know, composition and dynamic camera moves and cutting and sound design and music to kind of give the audience a totally immersive emotional experience that, that does not rely on dialogue, you know, given that a lot of people won't be able to speak English. So as well as making sure they understand everything they need to know from the first movie, we're also making it a, it's almost like a silent movie, these films. You know, they have to work at that level. So clearly this movie has been pushed back quite a few times and it was originally pushed back from 2019 to 2020 and then because of COVID. And I was wondering from 2019 to 2020, what was that? What were the changes made in that time? And then were there any changes made during COVID times? No. So we finished the film in July, 2020. So we went into lockdown. Uh, we were finishing visual effects. We were about to roll cameras on Mission Impossible 7. But that was delayed. And so that actually gave what that did do was it gave me and Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie more time to work on Top Gun with Joe and Jerry Bruckheimer. And we really stress tested every second of the movie over and over and over again to make sure it was absolutely as tight and as good as it can be. Um we got all the visual effects working great. We we imp kept improving the music score. All this was done, you know, I was just sat up here in my loft working uh, using a, a piece of software called Evercast that allows you to 
transmit your avid timeline over the internet to different collaborators and and then we sound mixed um you know we were the first film back in a sound mixing stage after the after the lockdown began to lift you know in june of uh, 2020 and then no changes were made to the movie uh from then to when it was released awesome so uh we have our last two questions and then we'll let you be free so uh, i'm a huge fan of mission impossible as anyone who knows me will tell you so i just want to know How's MI7 and MI8 going? Because I saw the MI7 trailer and it looks pretty, if you'll excuse my French, fucking awesome. Listen, I am thrilled that you like it. They are going to be extraordinary. You will not be disappointed. Um, There is, they're huge movies and there is amazing stuff that Tom does in both films, which is truly historic and epic and uh i can't wait for people to see it it's it's again both films are an incredible amount of work they're very complex sequences one after another after another very very complex um there's a lot of characters and there's a lot of stakes and there's a lot of cross-cutting and parallel storytelling and all that stuff takes ages to get right um to make it feel effortless when you're watching it you know to make it effortless to understand um it's going to be awesome. That's all I can say. And I'm and we edited the trailer um, in South Africa where we were filming part of Mission Impossible Eight, and um, we wanted to create a teaser that didn't really give anything away um, and w- didn't feel like a typical trailer. You know, we haven't used any of the kind of trailery sound design. We we based it almost entirely around a piece of music with Kittredge's dialogue. Uh, And we wanted to create a specific emotional effect in you Um, and to make the trailer feel different from, from other trailers that are out there, you know? So we ended up editing it ourselves. It it, kind of reminded me of the like deleted scenes montage in fallout a little bit in terms of what you guys were uh, doing there. Yes, you're right. That's a really good observation path. Yeah. 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 It is. Um, But we, we just wanted to kind of give you a sense of the scale of the movie and making sure you got to see all the characters and, and, and give you a sense of, you know, what Kittredge is up to. Awesome. Trent, do you think it's time? Yeah, time for the big kahuna final question. Yeah, I think it's time. So the final question is what is the last great film you watched? Um, and not good. Great. And it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be the first time it can be a rewatch. Yeah, the, the, it's quite easy because last night I watched Dune, which I think is fantastic. Mm. So I literally just watched it last night um, because I hadn't seen it since it was in the theatre. And I wanted to, I just remember thinking it was sublime. And so I wanted to watch it again. And I did. Um, in other news, I also watched JFK recently, which I think is a masterpiece, especially for editing. So if anyone has not seen JFK or Dune, <laughs> go and see them. I mean, JFK is the the, the way that the, the the way that they use all these different textures and film formats, and the, the way they use sound design and dialogue is just beyond brilliant. Um, I, I love that film. I I can't watch it enough. Awesome, um, Trent. Do you want to close us out? 
Sure. Thanks so much to Eddie Hamilton. He's been the editor on such films as Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, Mission Impossible Fallout, and our film for today, Joseph Kaczynski's Top Gun Maverick. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Trent. Thanks, Bob. That's beautiful. Track. Part through the magic of editing, I think our viewers by this point will know whether or not you edited and take my breath away four times. Well, Trent, was that a good interview or was that a good interview? From the options you've given, I thought it was a great interview. Checkmate, bro. But one who's great, Eddie Hamilton, the editor of the film. Yeah, he did such a great job that I actually saw it for the fifth time today with friend off the show and roommate of Trent Elgare. Sarah Brotman. Yes, I, I said, uh, I, I hate to uh, recreate a genuine conversation, but I said off mic before that uh, when I've seen two movies, Batman and Licorice Pizza, three times, and both times, what, like, during the first scene of the third viewing, I was like, this is too much. And so Parth's stamina to see Top Gun five times is really impressive. Parth, is there any other movie you've seen, like, over three times? In the theater? The o- you want you want to know the only other movie I've seen four times? Is it one of the mission, the most recent Mission movie? It's Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, wow, good for me. It is, also edited by Eddie Hamilton. Is it unfair to ask you which movie you like more? I mean, I would say that Mission Impossible Fallout is undeniably more important to me. Why, why, uh, why undeniably? Well, I mean, that's a movie that, like, after watching it, I got really obsessed with the making of for it, and that's how I, that's where my Christopher McQuarrie obsession came from, mm. and my, uh, getting on the cruise of Palooza truly began with Mission Impossible Fallout. I enjoyed other cruise movies before, but that was the movie that, like, sold it for me. I guess I've only known you for so long, so I guess I just figured that your Tom Cruise thing went back indefinitely. But when did Mission Impossible Fallout come out? Like, when you were in high school? 2018. So that was senior year of high school. I mean, I, I, was def- I definitely liked and was, like, a fan of Cruise, but that was the one where it was like, okay, I'm going to know everything about everything that I possibly can about this man. One, one what I'm excited to do, ex- discuss Top Gun Maverick next week. Yeah, it's going to be fucking awesome. I think it's going to be a Parth v. Trent, or Parth and Trent v. The World. Yes, right? or versus the haters of Top Gun. I don't know. I'd be curious to read the one-star reviews because these people are dead wrong. Like, no offense, but, like, what like what happened to you if you if you give that a one star? Uh, oh, well, I mean, I don't want to, Do like, you hate fun? Name, I don't want to name drop anyone, but I do know someone that goes to our school that was a year ahead of us that gave the movie a year and a half. Um, a star and a half? Sorry, a star and a half. Uh, saying that... Wait, mouth it to me so I can know. Well, I could just say it to you and then edit it out. Or, or you right. can just say it because it's the end of the episode. But yeah, sure, say it. Really? Wow. And yeah. what was, well, what was I, you, Wait, I'll, I'll just I'll bleep it out in the okay. actual edit. 
Okay, then what was their review? Or what was the review was basically saying that they hated it because it was military propaganda and that they thought that Cruz gave a bad performance in this, which I kind of find weird because I feel like this is one of his better performances in recent years. Some people like to not like things. Like the military propaganda thing, I get. The Cruz thing, not so much. But like you, I mean, I have my problems with the military, but that's like saying... I don't know, like, this is a fictitious plot, and so it's, like, pretty vague, but I also think that works to its benefit. But, like, you can't say that, like, Saving Private Ryan is military propaganda, like, even though, like, it kind of is. I, I mean, I, I think these are topics better served for our next week's discussion. But yeah, no, you, you're probably right. That being said, thanks so much to Eddie Hamilton um, for talking with us. He was super, super nice to us. Um... Again, an, uh, uh, two episodes that were a year and a half in the making. We finally got them in. We did it for you guys, the fans. Yeah, and the fans have seemingly responded. A lot of, a lot of listeners for that first, first day of the Top Gun. Yeah, this is as of recording the day after releasing part one. Um, and that got quite a few clicks. So hey. thanks to everyone that did that. And you can find us on social media at in, on Instagram and Twitter. So give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can, like, write a review. That'd be dope. Um, you can tell a friend about the show. That'd be really nice. And maybe they'll listen to it. Um, that's about all. You can continue to tune in every Sunday. That's when we release our new episodes. We're on every... podcasting platform under the sun that's worth using um and yeah again we've got some really good stuff cooking don't we Trent something fell through today which was less fun but yeah wait and I saw another email of someone rejecting us today for another movie but like yes although that person that rejected us might be an interesting get for a different movie that I know we would love to talk about Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you about it off air. But let's just say the next few months are they're well planned out. And let's just say if you like these last last week, this week, and next week, if you like the subject of this movie, um, you know, there's some interesting things cooking. But also, if you like if you like sharks, this summer could be pretty interesting. Mmm. Ah.